This episode of Weed and Grub is brought to you by Quinn. Quinn is an alt-cannabinoid brand that offers real THC products, everything from edibles to vapes, and they ship to all 50 states. What does alt-cannabinoid mean? Well, it means that Quinn is sourcing cannabinoids like THC and Delta-8 from hemp. Wow, their THC products are extracted from hemp. Yeah. All Quinn's products are third-party tested, and they only use the cleanest ingredients to give you a quality high. Check out Quinn online and use our promo code WEEDANDGRUB at checkout to get 25% off your next order. Visit myquinn.com, that's M-Y-Q-W-I-N.com, ooh, that'd be good in Wordle, and use Weed and Grub, all one word, at checkout to get 25% off. Quinn's edibles, vapes, concentrates, and more. And they ship to all 50 states. Yeah, yeah. Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. My first time seeing them. My first time. System of a down, yo. Oh my god. You're blown away. The tightest, the swirliest, the coolest, the baddest, the screamiest, the most talented, fucking amazing, blow your fucking socks off band that I have seen in concert in so fucking long. Heavy metal doesn't get the credit I wish heavy metal had. It is like. I think everyone thinks that it is just like pounding bass lines and screaming at the top of your lungs while men headbang and women wish their men didn't headbang. Like, no that's way. How it, that's how I feel like it was coming up. And oh. I love Corn and I love System of a Down. And to go with you and finally see them live and be like, this is intricate music that explores topics. It's hilarious. It's powerful. It's tribal. It's everything I fucking love. So much. I have to push back on the dudes like it and women don't fucking thing because when I was a teenager and I was hanging out with like I definitely listened to that kind of music because some of the guys that I was into liked it and so I needed to have like a passing acquaintance with bands like Faith No More or Helmet who opened for them to just feel cool but then once you get into it and you understand it like my gateway might have been through the, the, the dudes that I hung out Horniness. with but then also I just know some fucking hardcore heavy metal fucking chicks same there were some steel boots in that mosh pit that i was like "Ooh, i gotta dodge those motherfuckers because yeah. they're coming in size six and screaming hot i saw some flying elbows attached to fucking a lot of women who definitely were in there swirling 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 it was so exciting yeah i mean i know i came out like sexist and wrong <laughs> but what's what we, you know what it we... is predominantly <laughs> masculine i'm not trying to say that you're sexist and wrong i just want to say that women like it too and i really liked it and i liked being with you at that concert and i liked banging my head and i liked jumping up and down for the 30 seconds that my knees and ankles would let me <laughs> <laughs> it was real funny to see like a lot of people who came up with system of a down like walking around looking at their apple watch seeing what their heart rate was and checking the pulse and then there were i mean there were full-on like i guess it's not cosplay because it's just like how you dress when you love something and that's not a costume but there were some people there with corn like full on 
fun outfits, head to toe. Why do you think I worked at Spencer's Gifts until I got fired for stealing eye patches and tongue rings? Did you wear goth makeup? Oh my gosh. No, I didn't wear goth makeup, but my hair was dyed blue. My tips were dyed blonde and my corn shirts were everyday rotations. Holy shit. Fucking loved them, man. I would have loved to see you at that time. I was blown away. I'd never seen corn either when, uh, what's the singer's name? Jonathan Davis. When he came on stage in his crazy awesome outfit with that leather harness and his like flowing fucking skirt pant thing playing the bagpipes. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. I was truly delighted. Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy, ashes, ashes. <laughs> we all fall down. Oh, Nick Pennywhack. I was like, holy shit, they're doing nursery rhymes, but it's metal with bagpipes. And his mic stand is, uh, uh, who's the artist? Well, I want to look up to make sure that I'm correct about that before I say it, but I'm not going to look it up, so I'm just going to say I know it, and it's H.R. Geiger designed his mic stand. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what's up with that crazy, like, Formed, I think it has boobs. And you were like, yeah, like it's the Geiger. front of a pirate ship, like yeah. a Geiger-inspired pirate front. Oh my god, the whole experience was so great, and we got to go because of Shavo. Yeah, thank you so much, Shavo. Shout out Twenty Two Red. Yeah. Shout out Shavo. Um, <laughs> fuck, man, I'm still reeling from it. Like my my body is bruised, my bones are not broken, but had they been broken, I would wear a sling with pride. I fully expected you to come back in out of the mosh pit with like you know a bloody lip at the very least, because that shit was no joke. How do you feel about mosh pits? One of our first episodes ever was uh, T Porn Hub and Death Walls. You explained Death Walls to me. I'd w- never heard of them. Oh, they're so fun. Everyone Google Death Walls. I still there's no Death Walls anymore because. Um, uh, concerts like Travis Scott ruined it. Oh, you know, like yeah. there's been a lot of mosh pit protocols. That's actually fucking dangerous. Where people, re- but death walls were like a full-on consensual fucking mashing of your body into mm-hmm. like one wave of people coming toward another wave of people, and the middle is the death wall, right? It's a reverse Moses situation reverse at the Red Moses. Sea. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's it's awesome. like if Moses was like, and we put the sea back together. Yeah, and <laughs> now you all smash your faces and bang your heads. The thing about that I loved about the mosh pit was just you know being next to it, and you were like. I'm going in and I was like I'm standing right here and I'm gonna again favor my ankle but I the joy the pure joy on everyone's faces and how they stop to help each other up and just do all the things I mean you know if if you've been there you know it and I don't need to explain the credo to anyone but it's just really cool to see and I kind of forgotten about it especially as fucked up as things are right now in the world to see a group of people thrashing and banging and you know what looks like you know hurting each other being like no we're all in this together we're just working something out as a fucking group mm-hmm. right now it's physically spiritual. with punches yeah yeah it's spiritual and their fights did break out and I did have to duck a couple lefts and rights but at the same time a six foot four dude with his shirt off ripped out of his mind grabbed me during toxicity uh-huh. and instead I think what it also is is it it's a test of your it's a test of might because in that moment when you're all swirling around in this like tribal dance and being swept away by some of the best fucking music of all time in System of a Down. Um, when a six foot four, 300 pound ripped man grabs you screaming at the top of his lungs toxicity, you have two choices in that flight or fight moment. You can either grab him and scream with him and put your arms around each other's like brothers and swirl around and get fucked up. Or you can like get defensive mm-hmm. and your like instincts to be scared or something can kick in. And when and they never kick in. What kicks in is you grab that man as hard as he's grabbing you, and you scream at the top of your fucking lungs yeah. like fucking warriors. And yeah. it's a great spiritual awakening that I think uh, disappears as you get older. Definitely disappears as you get older when you're like, ow. Yeah. Also, this is loud. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, of course. But yeah. also, it's really important to feel primal and feel... Um, 
like just a an animal. It, it's important to feel like an animal. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I loved know. it. I had a. It was an amazing night. I. Uh, it certainly didn't expect. I didn't know what to expect because when we were like, we got word that we were being offered these tickets thanks to Twenty Two Red and Chavo. Again, thank you so much. So cool to go see System of a Down and Corn. I was like, I don't know. Maybe you want to. Maybe you should go with someone who would know more. And you were like, you have to come because you don't know and you need to know. And now. I know, and I put it on my Instagram stories, and I had so many people just DMing me and being like, what the fuck are you talking about? How did that happen? How can I get there? I had no idea, really, so I feel like indoctrinated into a whole new world of great fucking metal and anthems and honestly just how tight System of a Down is as a band, like how perfectly tight, how like it's like a, I, I know they're metal, but they're like jazz, like they're that integrated and overlaying and playing together and the theater of it like the whole fucking thing and I'm sure that anyone who knows System of a Down just is listening to me be like ah shut up but I loved it awesome loved what it. up Mary Jane how's it going Mike fucking great welcome to Weed and Grub everyone this is a podcast about comedy cannabis culture cooking calling shit out and I'm gonna say consultation oh of what well because our guest is lawyer David Holland oh. <laughs> still thinking about mosh pits. I was oh, like, like uh, concerts. And concerts. And concerts. That's much better. <laughs> hey, Mike, what's the most boring word you can think of for the intro? Oh, probably uh, consultation. Is that going to be the one we use? We have such <laughs> a good guest with our friend David Holland, who is an incredible attorney in New York, and I'm so excited to get to him. But yeah, first, we got to also, in addition to talking about the uh, concert, we got to talk about moshing and Noshing. Yeah, we do have to talk about noshing. We got to talk about noshing at that concert because, listen, I got to say, we got to we gotta just call it out. You paid $80 for two drinks at that concert. Yes, I did. Wow. How did that feel? Um, well, great, because <laughs> there's no turning back once they say the price. And yeah. you're like, okay, great. And here's a tip. Great. Uh, also, they were doubles. Yep. So, you know, respect to that it was a one drink concert Mm -hmm. and that was totally perfect because we had uh vapes and everything we needed actually now that i'm thinking about oh this is so gross this is gross um is this gonna be too jewish for the pod what okay so this uh mike's new corner jew math like gross but i will say like uh two vodka sodas Mm -hmm. doubles at eighty dollars is broken down into what like that's forty dollars for a drink that's each t- yeah 20 so bucks 20 a shot, bucks a shot. Mm-hmm. but the nachos yep. were 15 dollars each very reasonable very reasonable for a short rib nacho yeah a lot of cotija cheese on there some fresh radishes and lime i really Super appreciated loaded. them yeah yep. also shout out to the nacho person for spreading the plate over thin she didn't pile the chips high yep. she spread them long so that every single one got a nice bite to it it wasn't a pile of broken chips at the end with no sauce in fact i had sauce for every dang chip you are so right thank you to yeah. our nacho person yeah for that the only thing i think that could have made it better was if the actual nacho chips were infused. Like if they were made with sumo. <laughs> oh, that would be a, what <laughs> like are we getting there? Hint of lime, uh, sumo snacks uh, as the base, and then all of the the cheese, the beans, the corn, the, you know, tri-tip, or maybe some, I've had, I had impossible nachos really recently How, What was well. that? Like Just chorizo? Like, impossible chorizo? Or it was impossible. I don't even know what it was. It was great though. It was covered in a lot of goodness and I didn't ask questions is what it was. <laughs> And That's also free. Way so. to nacho. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God damn. Why am I wondering when it's not? Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, I will say the hint of lime 
sumo and the zesty ranch sumo they're both the wide flat tortilla chip with gotta the have the wide flat gotta be a wide flat so good yeah uh, also get a free sample it's at sumo snacks.com click free sample i'm gonna do it right now Ooh. hang on a second they're Hold so on. great they have, i've been loving the cheese puffs too everyone knows i think now i'm a cheese puff girl i've been all about there they've got the fireies and the puffs Absolutely. So this is, if you go on Sumo Snacks website, you can get two free snacks plus it's free shipping. They're going to send you ranch and lime. Make your own, make your own God dang infused nachos for the Super Bowl, folks. Listen, the Super Bowl is going to be so fun. What a fucking day. Make your, uh, make your Super Bowl snacks infused. That's a great idea. I like how you tied noshing into. Moshing and noshing and nachos. (laughs) I'm doing my best. Great. What do you uh, think makes... Oh, go ahead, please. Oh, I was also going to just say thank you so much for saving my weed from the overzealous security agent at the gate who, when we arrived... And you know, I know, I know, I know, like maybe it's not so... I, I forget where I live sometimes. I'm like, oh yeah, maybe you shouldn't... You can't bring weed into stadium events. But you were great because you just palmed it and then walked on through and then handed it to me after the gate. My lovely case of pre-rolls. So thank you for that because I was very sad. He made you throw your lighter away. I know. I was what? bummed. Have you ever been to a concert? I'm not a f- proponent of hold up your light on your phone yeah. as a way to sway as a musical community. It's a lighter situation. Fire. Right. Danger. Yes. Caveman. Primal. That's Heat. what it goes back to me. Heat. Yes. Exactly. Enough of this phone bullshit. I didn't like that he threw your lighter away. Ugh. Where do you fall on the line of this guy's just doing his job versus you power hungry schmuck? Get the fuck out of the way. Mike Glazer is just going to like walk by you anyway. I 100% fall on the he is just doing his job. Almost all of the time with those um, security agents, just because of all of the events that I've worked for, you know, weed events and other events, like, you know, as big as Electric Daisy Carnival, generally the people who are in the position that that guy was at, he was just literally checking us as we walk through a scanner. They're not in a position of power and they've just been given a, a list that they have to check off and maybe he misunderstood what he needed to make people throw away. But I'm not going to hold him in a position, like I'm not going to fight him or get mad at him or do it. Like it's fine. He, whatever. He, he was overzealous. He made me throw my lighter away and you saved my weed. So it's fine. It is. I couldn't let it go. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd finally told me to shut up after about an hour of me repeating the words. Can you believe that guy? And you're like, buddy, I need you to get in that mosh pit and just let that small petty shit go. Mosh it away, baby. That's what that is for. Is that, that security guy is still like, yeah, you're hot under the collar. Get get in there, man. Get I know. into that swirl. Well, shout out to Adam Ill, friend of the show. He's been on the pod because he, he knew how to uh, dupe security properly. He had joints tucked everywhere. He said he had one in his shoe and then one in his, like he was wearing a hoodie that had a pouch and he had some in there and then he had some tucked into like a different pocket and then maybe one tucked behind his ear. Yeah. Yeah, they were everywhere. He was like, just in case. And then, then he was like, I also have one in my car. <laughs> like, that's professional. It that really is pro is. shit right there. Yeah. I, I, uh, d- you were telling me about the time when you went to like some concert festival and a girl just took her hair down and all the drugs fell out. It's a, actually a YouTube video that I saw. I can't claim to have seen it, but it was so cool because she undoes this beautiful, massive bouffant updo that just looks extravagant. And she's just hidden. She just is pulling them out, 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 like one, two. I think she gets up to 12 and she's just <laughs> handing them out to the crowd. And it's so fantastic because I, I was never, I never smuggled joints into 
to concerts so much when I was like, I don't even know. I guess I was just always with, with friends who had stuff. So I was never the smuggler, but I used to smuggle booze into a lot of places. And you can put a Ziploc full of wine or vodka into your bra and then cut a little hole in that Ziploc when you get through and uh, you know pour it into cups. And that's a little smuggling tip for anyone who doesn't know how to smuggle booze. Well, obviously, it's a good idea because you still have to smuggle to this day. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I mean... I did I have Molly in my pocket that I forgot was in there? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> did I keep my lighter because I saw them throw yours away? Yes. Yeah. Did I then grab your weed back and put it back in my pocket and tell him I had nothing in my pocket? Yeah. yeah. But should we have to smuggle weed into a fucking concert anymore? <sighs> Fuck no, man. If you're selling me $80 double shot Tito's swirls and nachos that are gonna like you know give me a heart attack one day then I should be able to walk in there with some fucking joints and dance around legally like how are you gonna make me throw away a plant dog fuck off fuck off seriously it is so you know I've spoken to people who are like big event producers who work with places like well I don't need to name any of the names but you know places that are like that like we sell a lot of booze we don't know how the weed segment would fit into it might cut into our alcohol sales and then people aren't going to spend as much money on like merch or food or whatever are you kidding me if you have ever been to a weed festival you know that people spend so much money on weed and food and merch and a good time and maybe that fucking like ferris wheel over there it's just yeah so i think people are slowly coming on board i know there's some big like concert experiences that are launching weed brands that maybe we'll talk about on here at some point but the bank of california stadium was definitely 100% pro booze and 100% anti cannabis which was so unfortunate because Shavo's brand 22 red is fire fucking flower and was a sponsor of the concert and was a sponsor of the concert yo <laughs> it was crazy it was like, wake up why yeah grab your stupid brain and figure it out wake up Pull the tape room out of your ass. Help. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just yeah. quoting System of a Down lyrics. For anyone who doesn't Burn know, down. Mike is having a meltdown <laughs> quoting System of a Down lyrics from, I think, three different songs yeah. all at once. <laughs> cool. <laughs> that was amazing to watch. I was like, where is he going to go with this? Uh, all over, like but nowhere at the medley. same time. <laughs> like, oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's great. Oh, it was such a good time. I want to go to more concerts, uh, you know, in safe outdoor spaces like that. It was so awesome to just, you know, gather with people again outdoors. Felt super, super safe. It was so nice to see Adam and friends, you know, other fucking Abdullah, who we saw like five times last week. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it was just great. I hope everyone can go see some concerts, go to some live events, start yeah. seeing some theater again. Yeah. You know, like go outside. And well really said. experience community again, even if it's from a safe distance, whatever you're comfortable with. Like, it's really important, especially right now, to connect with as many people as you can because <sighs> the world is about to get more insane. Midterms are coming and we all need to lock arms and strap in, baby. Yes, we do. Which, uh, speaking of, we should get to our news this week. Okay, let us get to our news segment, the Grublet Gazette. This week is being reported from Marijuana Moment. MarijuanaMoment.net, where we get so much of our great weed news. And this is kind of in honor of our guest this week, David Holland, who's uh, practicing law in New York. The headline is, New York doctors can now recommend medical marijuana to patients for any condition they see fit. And it's basically just great news about the medical cannabis program in New York State, which was um, until now sort of limited in what conditions doctors could prescribe medical cannabis for. They had to rely on a list of specific eligible maladies, and they had to work their way down that list. And if you didn't 
suffer from a condition on that list, they weren't able to prescribe you medical cannabis. But now physicians have been granted a discretion through the state's recreational uh, weed law that was came into play last year, and we were so delighted to like experience it ourselves when we went to Brooklyn and smoked weed on the street. Um, now the new medical cannabis program basically has expanded to say if a doctor thinks that you would benefit from medical cannabis, they can prescribe it to you for whatever it is that they think that might be. I fucking love that. Yeah. So a couple things about this for me. I've talked about it on here before, but when I got my medical card here in Los Angeles, the doctor took his stethoscope out of his cargo shorts. <laughs> and I was like, well, it doesn't matter what I say. I'm going to be getting this medical card. But we have other friends who have high anxiety or very nervous to go get a medical card because it's like, I don't really want to lie, but I don't know. I just know that I like weed and it helps me. So how can I? And so it gets very complicated very quickly for everybody. So now the idea of just saying like, if you think this helps you medically, mm -hmm. come on in, baby, we got you. That's such an important step for legislation for me. Well, and the deal is, you know, with the medical cannabis program, there is actually a benefit to being a medical cannabis patient if you do use it medicinally, because there are here in California, there's a different in, difference in price. I don't know how it's going to work in New York, but here in California, it was built into Prop 64 that the existing Prop 215 patients would be protected at the same price so they wouldn't be paying these exorbitant 30% plus tax rates. And that's also a problem here that I think we should address on this podcast at a different time is that some of those medical marijuana patients are suffering under California's recreational laws because there are dispensaries that are not observing the tax break. So it, you know, all, like, I think the idea that you and I have come around to talking about cannabis so much on here for a couple of years, three years now, is that all uses medicinal no yes. matter how you use it you know if you're just choosing to unwind with it that is still a medicine of some kind mm -hmm. and but if you have for instance endometriosis we have a re really good friend who uses cannabis medicinally for her endometriosis pain and she has benefited so greatly from medical weed she should be able to access that weed as a medical cannabis patient safe fair and at a good price and so this is you know hopefully the the way that it will be in new york it will be like you don't just have to have this list of you know chronic pain or wasting disease or be an hiv patient but also yeah perhaps as you say like maybe you can just feel like i i'm just nervous and COVID makes me feel weird. And they'll be like, okay, well. Come on in. Or come honestly, on in. Uh, I, I medically need it to make Marvel movies better. Yeah. Uh, great. Do that. I medically need it to finish my term papers. <laughs> yeah. Or, or term papers. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I need it to meet these deadlines. Hello. <laughs> I'm doing a marathon of every single Scream movie. Yeah. <laughs> I also need it medically to reorganize all of my closets. That's <laughs> true. It's the only way anything gets done in my house. Wait, how many closets do you have? So many. And they're really? all full of stuff. Ugh, oh, God, it's gross. terrible. It's, I won't get into that with please you. Please don't but... ever look under my bathroom sink. Really? Really. Oh, wow. I have like 10,000 kinds of nail polish that I haven't used in years. It's just it's a shit show. I can't throw things away when I'm like, maybe I'll just... Every time I throw something away, I need it the next day. I swear to God. Really? Hoarder mentality. I'm built to fucking keep things. But I, I still think about this. There was a beautiful rain poncho that I had bought at Goodwill for like $3. And it was sky blue. I wore it all the time. And then I left Seattle and I moved to New York. And it was like it was never warm enough for really cold and rainy weather. And it was too hot for summer weather. And so I finally just was like, oh, someone else will get use from it. And I gave it away. And literally the next day, for like three months, it was blue poncho weather. <laughs> I was so bummed. So I just hold that in my brain as a cautionary tale. That is a good cautionary tale. So just keep everything all the time. <laughs> Never <laughs> let <laughs> anything go. <laughs> I have someone in my family who used to, um, do I want to tell that story? I don't know. 
Hoarding's in my family too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hoarding's in my family too. All right. So I think that's why I'm also like super against it. And yeah. when there was a lot, like Mary Jane, thank you for the Christmas gift, which was a place to wrap my wires around so that they're not all over my floor. Because just even the act of having too many wires around for me is enough to make me sing three System of a Down lyrics at once. I just had my wallet out, like just out of my bag, just sitting on the table before we started recording and you handed it to me. So I had to put it away. I was like, yo dude. I couldn't stand it. I can't, I can't. It just needs, and I was like, okay. Yep. I got it. Okay. I I need, you know what we need? We need like, you know how there's like marathon groups and things like that where like you all do yoga together, like running club. We need like, we need mosh club where we all go to a park and we (laughs) set up a Bluetooth speaker and we all play system of down and we just mosh in the park for 15 minutes once a week. Okay. And then we all shake hands and go on our way. I think that would actually solve quite a few problems, not only in my life, but probably others. I feel like that exists and it's called CrossFit or something you know what I mean like there's that totally exists or like you know what are they called mud flaps mud runs mud oh sure yeah the mudders tough mudders tough mudders yeah that kind of craziness where people just push themselves I mean beyond 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 and so many of these those people are so into I long time interviewed an ultra marathoner who solely trained stoned and ran stoned and he was like that's how I break every record it's how I you know recover with you know all of the topicals he used and he like was like I use it as a vasodilator to train at higher altitudes so I get more oxygen in my blood whoa he's a really fascinating dude amazing well this actually is a great tie-in to uh Quinn and everything that they can provide all over the 50 states because if you're in New York and you can get a medical card yeah great go for it that's right smoke on the streets but if you live in any of the 50 states especially any of the states where it's still illegal, yep. Quinn is the move. They and, are available because they're sourced from hemp. Yeah. And under the 2018 Farm Bill, that means that they are able to ship to all 50 states because the product that they're creating is sourced from uh, hemp, so, which I just said. Ch- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you need a little Quinn in your life. Uh, I just wanted to read a couple of reviews because I think it's really cool what they're doing. You can check them out at myquinn.com. And one review says, I highly recommend this for pain, anxiety, depression, panic, panic attacks, OCD, also just for feeling great. And they shouted out their favorite, which is the blueberry syrup made with Delta 8. Mm-hmm. And then I did a little bit of researching, and it turns out that another of you said the Delta 9 syrup, Tropical Punch, is their favorite. They have a very high tolerance, and this is one of the only syrups and edibles that they found that not only provides relief and relaxation, but is best for me. So shout out to Marissa for writing that 10 out of 10 review. And then I went on the website, <laughs> and I looked up Quinn's edibles, and Tropic Punch is eleven ninety five, And it has shipping, and you can use the code WEEDANDGRUB at checkout for 20% off. Come on. 25%. Getting... 25%? 25%. Yo. That is one quarter for anyone who is doing math. Not uh, me. <laughs> for anyone but me. <laughs> There's another review that says they love the orange squeeze, which is one of Quinn's concentrates. And the review says, this is fantastic. The taste, effect, and quality of this product is 10-10. Super heavy hitting and potent. We'll be purchasing lots more. And that shopper's name is Liz M. Who do you think that is? Liz M. Liza Minnelli. <laughs> so if you want to if you want to be involved with something, Liza Minnelli co-signs. Yep. Don't take my Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's just such a good deal. So check out myquinn.com. They have edibles, vapes, concentrates, CBD. You can get all the lab results that you would feel comfortable learning about. And with weed and grub at checkout, you get 25% off. It's a great deal. I'm going right. to do it. 2,200 milligram syrup for 10 bucks. Come on, yo. 
Hell yes. I love those guys. And then uh, I try and walk out my front door and the security guard from the System of Down concert is in there. He's like, what's in your pockets? And I'm like, how are you at my apartment? He's like, ah, this is my job everywhere. And I got to... <laughs> Throw away my Quinn. Oh, no. That guy is following you? Yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> well, can I tell you another story about something? After the news, I wanted to talk about something else that was new. Mm-hmm. My skin. My skin is new. You I new went, skin. I went to the Wee Spa here in Los Angeles on Sunday. It was my sister's birthday, and I was like, I'm going to do something really nice for myself today to think about my sis and honor her and also just, like, take a day. And I had a gift certificate from you. Thank you, Mike, that you would give them to me pre-pandemic. And I renewed it, redeemed it, resolved it. I, I worked it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I went to the Wii Spa and I used it and I got a scrub and a massage. And then I went in all the rooms and I sat in a sauna and a steam room and I did all the things. But the scrub, I have all new skin, like top to bottom, fingertip to toe. I feel amazing. And one of the coolest parts about it literally and figuratively was when I was lying on my back and I had a hot towel on my face and then in my ear I just heard what sounded like a wood log being sawed it was like so loud couldn't figure out what it was and then my towel was unwrapped off my face and this freezing fucking cold um facial was put on and it was freshly grated frozen cucumber and it felt fucking crazy because it was so cold and the rest of me was so warm and then I could just feel everything being drawn out of my skin and my pores and uh, anyway when she finished with me she like actually sat me up like a baby like she put her head at the base of my skull and the woman who was giving me all my treatments just and she made this little sound and she was like whoop and she like threw me up so I was just all of a sudden like sitting upright and, the, and I, I felt like this crazy head rush and it was like a psychedelic moment. It was like, I imagine I've never done DMT, but I feel like it was that kind of a rush. Like all of a sudden everything, all of my, my bliss molecules were in alignment and she just sat me right up like a little baby and I was like, whoop. And then she was like, thank you. Bye. Wow. <laughs> and then I, I toddled off like a little. It does sound like a rebirth. Like yeah. a brand new layers of skin that have been under there hoping to get some air sometime that are so soft and smooth like a baby. It was glorious. Cucumber facial. Yep. And next time I go, I would love you to come and maybe we can get some other friends because there's a common area in the spa where everyone can gather. So the women have one floor and the men have another. There's a roof deck where you can all go. But the common spa area is like you can all hang out in saunas together and on these floor mats and you can get ramen and drinks and it just was really fucking cool and you took a nap on the jade floor which i think is so cool too like i love a clay uh whatever that clay bath is with those little clay balls that you lay on i did not go in there and then you hit up uh the freezing room and then you go lay on some jade for uh renewal yeah nothing like shocking your system with several different temperatures of like all of the heats and the colds and everything and then just eating some ramen and passing the fuck out on a floor in front of a bunch of strangers and i didn't care and it was awesome that's awesome i wonder what's wrong with me though because i always make fun of someone who has like amethyst in their pocket or rose quartz on their necklace and i'm like you have crystals i did but i don't anymore because i started making fun of it on my stand-up act Uh. (laughs) but then i'm like all about laying on a floor made of jade where it's like as long as you're not wearing it i'm all about it i guess i'm such a hypocrite 
hypocrite. Thousands of years of tradition can't be wrong. (laughs) I mean, there's a reason that there are like millions of people around the world who take advantage of these kinds of therapies and that like we Westerners are just fucking dumbass idiots about it. Don't cancel me. So far, I've come out as sexist and against Eastern medicine (laughs) in about 22 minutes of content. And I'm not feeling great about it. Oh, no. But I am feeling it. You're you're pro mosh (laughs) and you're pro sneaking shit into concerts. And that's all you need in my book to be my favorite kind of person. Thank you. I'm all about nachos and freedom. Yeah, Yeah. that's it. (laughs) We need that. I need that in my life. I would slide into being the most like boring, proselytizing fucking idiot if I didn't hang out with you because I would just be like, facts all the time and here's what I know Mm -mm. and that would be terrible. Pull the tapeworm out of your ass. Thank God. Are you saying I actually have a tapeworm that I need to pull out of my ass or that you and I do that weekly with this podcast? That we do that weekly with this podcast. Great. Absolutely. The other thing I wanted to ask you about We Spa is... That's a System of the Down song, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know. Oh, yeah. Because I didn't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, pull the tape warm out of your ass. Hey! Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about We Spa is when when you did, like, the skin stuff, Yeah. like, do you sit up the way that it's a haircut and you're like, there's just dead skin all over the floor around you like a snake? Because that's what I was picturing. I was like, are there trash bags of dead skin yes. going into the... There is. But this particular... I don't know how it is in every place, but this this particular place, I was sort of like never allowed to see it like I was constantly being like moved and splashed and washed with like things over my eyes and beautiful smells happening and so I just felt like this giant slippery kind of naked seal on this big wet table (laughs) being (laughs) flipped around by this very confident person who was like giving me the best time of my fucking life it was great and I didn't see any dead skin she even washed my hair like it was so lovely it's very spiritual there's very there's something very like Mary Magdalene about that for me Uh, truly it just it did feel spiritual and I feel so grateful and connected and thank you for that fucking gift what was your favorite part about uh, a stranger touching your body like that with like rough pumice scrubs right. and hair washing and a cold cucumber. Like uh, for me, like I tell every massage therapist, don't touch my feet. Mm. I don't care how many knots are in there, how many things you've loosened in my neck on the soles of my toes. I understand it's all connected, but I can't stand anyone touching my feet. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of like anywhere else, go to town. Don't jack me off. I, I don't want to get arrested, but like <laughs> anything else I'm really down with, but my feet. Yeah, I love the head, neck, hands, and feet the most because I'll give myself, you know, rubs everywhere else, but there's something, the act of having someone take care of your head and neck is so intimate. I don't know if you've had your hair washed at like a salon or anything anytime recently, but... Uh, I did, and even though it's a friend of ours, Mm -hmm. it still was very personal. It's so fucking intimate, and it's just such a a privilege or a, a, um, a treat, I guess. is is how I want to always think of it. It's like a huge treat when I can have that happen. So the head, it was amazing. Like, yeah, anyway, I don't need to go on about how awesome my massage was, but it was great. Well, I just think, I don't know, the world is opening up. Yeah. The UK just lifted all COVID restrictions. They're like, we're done with this bitch, bye. You you know what I just read that I thought was so interesting about Denmark was that um, 81% of uh, Danish citizens are vaccinated, but they are very against vaccine mandates and that was explained in this I think it was a piece in the times that I read because the Danes don't want mandates from their government but they all got vaccinated because they believe that's the best way forward so it was just this it was like you know such an example of like the system being broken we don't we don't Americans 
including myself in that, don't trust the government. So we don't want to believe what they're saying to us. But that in, in, a, in a country where they trust the government incredibly, implicitly really, and, and they have this incredibly high standard of living, they still don't want the government to tell them what to do. I just thought that was a really interesting sort of distinction. It's like, they're all vaccinated because they all knew what to do in order to, you know, for, for the community Human. and for, for the society. Um, yeah. But they are anti-mandate. Man, I fucking love that. Yeah. I think, but I think that's also why I'm kind of like going back to moshing and talking about your massages because, like, I feel like the world and myself are so in flux and so mm -hmm. strained right now, especially in America. And then you have a place like Denmark where everyone's just like, humans be humans. Let's all just work together and work it out. And I wish we had that here. And I'm starting to really feel how much we don't, which is why, um, you know, I really am thankful to, for doing these these pods with you, but also for being able, for you not judging me for needing to go punch people in the face and have them punch me in the face <laughs> or get you a nice massage where you get your head touched and yeah, feel good about it. Was it was two versions of the same thing. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Truly. Like everyone's fighting for their fucking lives every yeah. day. And it's, it's what important. you needed to feel healthy in that moment was to like be, get that aggression out in a totally different way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like a massage. Moshing and massaging. The same thing. <laughs> your, way, my mosh is your massage. Oh, I love that. <laughs> My nosh is your massage. My mosh is your massage. That's great. Yeah. Oh, fuck. We found it. We found it. Do we want to do Buds of the Week? Yeah, let's do Buds of the Week. They're Speaking exciting of, this week. Holy yeah. shit. Rachel Wolfson, friend of the pod, long time just friend in the world, is in the new Jackass movie. She's uh, being shouted up by Johnny Knoxville and Howard Stern. She's at premieres all over the place. She was dared to lick a stun gun in the in the <laughs> movie, which I have not seen yet, and I'm so excited to see. She's just funny, cool crushing it in life i'm so excited to know her and she is one of our buds of the week she's at wolfie comedy the greatest follow on ig that's actually how she came to the attention of johnny knoxville was through her incredible memes she's an og stoner uh just fucking congratulations yeah. wolfie we are number one movie so in the stoked. country number one movie in the country she's on posters she's on the um like front and center on the high times website this week she's getting tons of press and I think anyone who knows her is just so excited and proud, and I certainly count myself among one of her big fans, and I feel very proud as well. Yeah, and I think that the same way that we put money into charities we believe in, we shout out companies we believe in, you got to put your money into movie tickets for people that you believe in and That's you right. want to support too. It's really important. Yes, support people at the box office. That is something that I've truly learned. Yeah. Yeah, so go see Jackass and shout out Wolfie and Tagger and you know, let her know what you think. Get out of your fucking mind. Sneak yes. in some sumo snacks. Yep. Put them with your movie night nachos mix it up and That's then you have right. a grab bag for a party come on <laughs> Full of ideas this butter week. trick yes Ooh, the butter trick if you don't know about that go go back and listen to that episode where we explained it like a million years ago anyway <laughs> who's your butt of the week mike my butt of the week this week is at zach miller dog another great friend another great comedian an amazing comedy host he does shows all over california but you can follow him at zach miller dog we just did the Hemperers comedy show over the weekend about to post some pics from that and um not only is he like a dude who smokes weed all day every day and looks great in a tracksuit with his chest hair popping off but he's also a really like caring sweet guy who's very fucking funny so thank you for having me on your show i can't wait to perform with you more and it seemed like everyone at the show had a great time so I if you're looking time. awesome yeah if he's you're a, looking, man, follow Zach Miller Dog. He's hilarious. He's a, a great host, too. I love the way that he handled the room and the lineup that he curated. And you blew us all away, Mike. I got to say it. I know you won't. So it was, you were an incredible fucking headliner. 
I loved that whole show and I will be going back all the time. It was just such a good time and with giveaways and everything. Giveaways. Yeah. Yeah. I got a shout out to Moon who gave us this like it, it was infused rolled in keef um, oh, yeah. weed that we all smoked down and then we all looked at each other and we're like, all right, we're going to be quiet for one second here. Right. We're all just going to be in our heads. Enjoy Great. this moment. I'm going to readjust my face so I don't look crazy. <laughs> That's what I have to do sometimes. Oh, shit. We didn't even get to the thing that we shot last week. We'll have to talk about that next week. Oh, my God. This so many things to talk intro's about. Intro's all over the place, and I feel like I've interrupted you too much because I don't talk to you enough, so I get excited when we're both here, and I'm like, I want to just talk let's all the time. Let's talk all the time. Yeah. Well, we, I, let's, I'll come back and do this again tomorrow. Let's okay. Let's do it all the time. Great. Should we get to our VIB? Our very important bud. Yes. I like how politically charged this intro was between System of a Down and their songs about Armenian genocide and dictators can fuck all the way off. They're bad people. Right. And now to talk with someone like David Holland, who not only is his heart in the right place, but he's been fighting the good fight for so long and he's made huge waves and progress in the cannabis game. So this feels really appropriate for this intro for him as our VIB. That's right. He has been telling people to fuck all the way off in a very polite, um, compliant attorney sort of way for like a long time. He's a seasoned and highly respected litigator who has been a leading advocate in the cannabis space for over 20 years. He's represented clients in proceedings everywhere from traffic court to the U.S. Supreme Court in marijuana cases. He helped obtain clemency for five elderly prisoners serving at least one sentence of life without parole for weed offenses. I met him when he was working at High Times. Uh, we get into it about all sorts of stuff. He's just a really incredible person. I'm so grateful to have known him and to have watched him move through the world as he does as an advocate for people and very political and really a renegade in in uh, you know in in the white collar space. Hundred percent. He's right? in the fucking mix. Yeah. I think which is what was exciting most to me talking with him. I was like, we're talking to someone who is in the mix he knows what's up yeah. yeah like he's the executive and legal director of empire state normal which is the national organization for the re- reform of marijuana laws like he's he's a policy wonk and a policy maker and he's doing cool shit so without further ado shaka here is our interview with <laughs> david holland you know mike I love a good buzz. Me too, MJ. But if you live in a state where cannabis is still illegal, you might think there aren't a lot of options out there. We're here to tell you that no matter where you are, you do have options, thanks to Quinn. Quinn is an alt-cannabinoid brand that is selling real THC products, everything from edibles to vapes, and they ship to all 50 states. How do they do it? It's because their THC products are all extracted from hemp. All their products are third-party tested, and they only use the cleanest ingredients to give you a quality high. A must-try is the extra-potent 200-milligram Delta 9 syrup. It feels just like THC, but it's legal in all 50 states. Because it's derived from hemp. And you can use our coupon code to get 25% off your next order. Just type in weed and grub at checkout. Go to MyQuinn, that's M-Y-Q-W-I-N.com, MyQuinn, M-Y-Q-W-I-N.com, and use promo code weed and grub to get 25% off. That's right. And they ship to all 50 states. Also right. Yay. David Holland, it is so good to see you. How are you? I'm doing great, and it's just such a wonderful opportunity to see you again and be a part of this show. Thank you for this. Just, you know, there, I know we have so much to get into. I want to ask you a million questions because we've known each other for so long, so we could we could yap all day about a million topics. But first <laughs> off, for our listeners, can you just give everyone an overview of who you are and what you do? 
Sure. I am. Um, I'm a solo practicing attorney in New York City, and I, um, for a long time, been also part of the cannabis uh, advocacy movement. So I had spent some time as counsel to Hot Times Magazine, um, and I've also am presently the executive and legal director of Empire State Normal, and I'm the co-founder of the New York City Cannabis Industry Association as well as the Hudson Valley Cannabis Industry Association. And just kind of having fun watching this evolve, which uh, only a few years ago when we met Mary Jane, we never thought that 38 states would already be there with legalization or that we're fast approaching, you know, Congress talking about every which way to Sunday to try to pass laws that allow the industry to go forward without actually just changing the federal law. It's crazy. It's amazing. When we met uh, and you were general counsel for High Times, I, I feel like so much of your time was spent sort of negotiating, keeping people out of jail and you know, like j just making sure that the movement uh, was represented with counsel in, in so many different ways. I know that you have probably a million stories about that, but like it must have pivoted to now you're, you're figuring out like stuff within the legal system. I mean, it, it, your, sh your shift must have been pretty big, right? It, it, it has been. I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting as well because I've actually sat in corporate boardrooms saying, you know, it's not that long ago we'd all be indicted just for having this conversation. You know, so like I, I've gone from having whispered conversations in jail cells to sitting in corporate boardrooms, having major outright, you know, debates about what's the best way for the entrance into the marketplace and how to make it fair and equitable and diversified. And it, yeah, it's it's a it's a shift that I never could have never foresaw coming. And certainly Michael Kennedy, who Mary Jane knew, who I worked with for a variety of years, who really got me in this. I don't think he ever foresaw this day coming before he passed. Yeah, I, I, it would be great if he were here to see it because he, you know, was a freedom fighter. I feel like, you know, that was this, the scrappy ragtag bunch at high times when we met. They were really, you know, s scrapping from, from the outside to make this movement uh, what it is now, which is an industry. And we've lost some of that sense of community. You know, I think Elise and I and, and Dave Bienenstock were all out here and we're like, really sort of tracking that move from the shift from it being a community to an industry and how that's affected all of us. How do you feel out there? Do you still feel the sense of community or are you really seeing the sort of corporate interests shifting things? You know, I'm, I'm, you're one of the few people, both you and Mike, that can really appreciate that question because, yeah, the, the, the movement has been swallowed by the very, you know, uh, uh, revolution that it brought about, right? So the leaders are now gone. They're no longer the outspoken rebels. They're now the people to be left on the side of the road and sort of discarded. So I feel a little bit you know, being outmoded in the very industry that a lot of people helped me, you know, create. So um, it's been exciting, but, you know, it, it's important. We spend a lot of time sort of teaching people like there's uh, lots that you'll see from major corporate players and multi-state operators. That's all well and good. But I'm still very wired into the whole legacy market, which California has, New York has. That is the marketplace and that is the culture that was built around this plant and if you don't include them into the commercialized space, you'll never really see it meet its potential. So, um, yeah, it's it's not something where we're just tilting at windmills anymore. We're tilting at legislative action to try to say make it reflective of the actual market that exists, not what you dream it could be for a bunch of select individuals. Are you watching uh, the sort of crisis unfold in California and really tracking that in order to take it as a cautionary tale for New York legalization? Because things out here are a mess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, legacy farmers are being, uh, you know, they're experiencing what they're calling an extinction level event. Like they don't feel like they can operate in this regulated space. 
Um, so I'm just wondering, you know, wh what your takeaway from that is as you're working for legalization on the East Coast. Uh, absolutely. So uh, while I'm not nearly as knowledgeable as you all are about California's problem, um, it starts, though, with for me, they gave out too many licenses at one time and, and created too many classifications. So you have an oversaturation of people in the market, which isn't a problem. But if you have a disproportionate tax rate, which is what I understand California really does have, um, that's the problem. And so with the New York City Cannabis Industry Association and, and the sister organization, the Hudson Valley, we actually did a, a real in-depth tax policy analysis of what New York's rate should be. And we ended up recommending it should only be 12 percent and they established 13 percent. So I think drawing upon what we learned from uh, it was five different states, including California, that were analyzed. Um, I think we, our message was heard that this is not crazy because otherwise a high taxation is guaranteed to be a two market system. And it will just it will naturally never assimilate all those elements that it needs to really keep itself flowing as the market has been. And New York is considered to be the world's largest marketplace. So if you create a two market system, you've just created a recipe for disaster. And really, those people that were supposed to be prioritized, not only to the marketplace, to put to sustain the existing marketplace would be left out in the cold. That's just it's not right. and It's not fair. So we're working hard on that. Besides taxes, are there other big ticket items that people should be aware of when we're talking about legalization, either at a state or federal level? Because I get mired in the idea of like, we need to be talking more about Terps. And a lot of people, it's, that's a pretty small thing to be talking about compared to like the broad strokes of what it looks like at a state level. So could you kind of cover the things that are not only important to you, but how the system actually works at a state level to like hopefully do right by small communities and big business? Absolutely. Um, and I think this is where New York really is the most progressive in the country because this is, remember, this is the home of the Rockefeller drug laws, right? And so those were the most severe consequences for having an ounce of weed. You could do life in prison. So New York really has, uh, in the wake of a lot of different social movements that have been going on, not just with legalization of marijuana, but I think with Black Lives Matters, which has been an incredibly important part of this, it realized that the disproportionate um, arrest rates and conviction rates of people of color in different communities and the evisceration of those communities need to be rectified. So at the top of the priority really is um, social equity, which in many states we've heard a lot of lip service given to. But, you know, between people flipping licenses or in Massachusetts, the, the revenues took three years to get up before you could start funding these social equity applicants, so they're effectively three years behind. Everybody else got a three-year head start. Um, New York has learned from those experiences. And so I've spoken with a number of people in Albany where we have the state legislators who are putting this program together, and they really are very committed to 50% of the licenses will go to social equity applicants. Um, they've made it in no uncertain terms. If you don't have diversity and inclusion and how you're going to um, – uplift those impacted communities that really suffered in the drug wars, don't bother putting in an application. So I think New York is more than just willing to say it. They're willing to stand by it. And um, we will, uh, in mid to late February, we have a member of the Office of Cannabis Management, which is the state program overseeing uh, uh, the whole legalization rollout. Um, that will be addressing how they're going to actually create an advance on the what's going to be the call the cannabis fund from which social equity applicants can get funded. 
Um, and they're going to have a very unique announcement about how that's going to be done and really prove that the commitment is to get to the most deserving people first rather than last when it comes to getting in as low-cost entry points into the market. So you have confidence in the new governor to uh, see this through in the right way? I, I do in the sense it's not just her. And I, I, I think that while Governor Cuomo, when this passed, was in the midst of political wranglings of his own with regard to his personal circumstance and was, you know, uh, horse trading, <laughs> if you will, um, I think Governor Hochul has really seen it. And, and more importantly, the legislators that really passed the laws in New York State have really all of a sudden come out from under the rocks and not only are looking at the situation that really stands, including them, even with life sentences, you never eradicated society. People just were willing to take those risks. But they're looking at what the consequences of those risks have been to neighborhoods. And they're now committed to let's use this as an upliftment policy rather than just a continuation of letting certain, you know, privileged people get to the front of the line first. So um, I, I do think that that it's it's a whole and, and society is no longer afraid to talk about it or stand up by it. And one of the benefits of being, you know, New York coming 25 years after California legalized medical is it does have 20, hindsight is 2020. So I think there really are some very um, prolific advancements that have been made because of we're coming later into the game. And, uh, and I think people are no longer afraid to talk about it, stand up for it and lobby for it. As a, as a longstanding member of Normal and as the head of Empire State Normal, you are part of sort of like a rarefied group of attorneys who have been fighting for the cause for a very long time. It's a pretty it's a pretty small group of individuals, though, even so. Do you feel like there are newer, scrappy attorneys who are coming up who are trying to, like, hop in on it? And, and, and if so, what would you say to them? What do they need to know? Where, where should an attorney who is interested in forwarding cannabis start? Well, I'm trying to find the diplomatic answer to that question. Um, there, because <laughs> <laughs> people want to make money, right? I feel like people yeah, are putting hanging out their money. shingle and saying, "Oh, now I'm going to be a cannabis compliance attorney and get rich." So, you know, you know, that's there's a lot to say, I'm sure. <laughs> absolutely, you know, rumor has it that attorneys may have egos. You know, it's just a rumor going around. I don't know who spread that, but there, what? <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of folks out there that quite literally read one or two cases or sort of got up to speed about a year to two years ago and are claiming, you know, the domain of all cannabis legalization wouldn't exist but for them. And some of them have gone to very national prominence with, them. Um, I think, a less than full tank of knowledge that they might require. Um, but that being the case, you know, I, we were, uh, it, the, us normal folk, if you will, uh, have been longstanding people that got into this really uh, through the criminal defense business because that was the only way you were touching a marijuana legal issue. So we come with a very jaded perspective, and, and I would not say laser vision on a kaleidoscopic view of how the industry comes together, but we've seen it from so many different segments um, of a kaleidoscope or a mosaic tile, if you will. The people coming into it now, are, you know, this is going to be like anything else. It's corporate lawyers, it's contract lawyers, it's a lot of people that once the dust settles a little bit and the, the industry gets off the ground, I think that the, the radicalism and the um, love of the fight that motivated so many of us for so long it really leaves the arena. So I'm not sure, um, it, it, like I said, you know, revolution sometimes devours its leaders. Um, I'm not sure where we go when we all grow up all of a sudden, you know, those things that we, we've done all along have really changed. And I, I can tell you this, and I mean, I, I, I can say this with somewhat of a great degree, degree of pleasure. 
having been part of this advocacy for so long with people like Mary Jane and you, Mike, and others who've really been at the forefront, I've put myself out of business. I have not had a cannabis arrest case in five years. I don't, you know, that was the bread and butter. That was what we were known for, uh, particularly Michael Kennedy and I would get called from all around the country. And I, I, it would be amazing to me if somebody called me up and said I got arrested for weed. You just don't see them on the scale that we were used to. So I take that as a real sign of progress that the new entrance into the legal space can't really appreciate what that really means to not have that phone ringing with those problems. Can you talk a bit about what that past looked like where you're getting calls from all over the country, like what were those cases looking like? Were you going to Arkansas and calling out the cops for some silly bullshit that, you know, like what what did it look like back then for you? Well, it was exciting times, you know. So it, in the world of criminal defense, you run into these search and seizure issues, right? You know, was there probable cause to search a vehicle or, you know, bag somebody was carrying? And those fights were where I really focused um, because I uh, one in particular – was a case out of upstate New York, a guy named Eric Canori, where the it was a joint task force. It started out with a woman named Missy Giove, who was an X Games multi-medal winner in downhill mountain biking. And um, she had entered into an agreement with Eric to have weed moved from California over, and it got picked up along the way. There was a very questionable roadside stop that had all the, um, well, just to give it to you real quickly, had all the inklings of what they called parallel tracking where the NSA, right after 9-11, this is a few years after 9-11, but NSA was monitoring phone calls and then feeding it over to the U.S. Attorney's Office, creating a parallel investigation, and then would destroy the evidence. But there's no way they would have known to stop this U-Haul trailer with that type of drill bit that would nobody would normally have at any point to open up a bunch of crates to find that there was marijuana in the, inside of them. So... That was fun, and what I was able to prove was when that was delivered, um, the DEA agents that went in and raided a house and found quite a bit of, of cash and, and marijuana already knew that, that one of the delivery points never happened, so therefore they didn't have probable cause, and it was pretty clear that they deliberately lied under oath, and that became a very interesting fight for a long period of time which um, later, out of all those issues, and in, in trying to sum it up, gave rise to the different challenges I've brought up on constitutional grounds of why I think that the Schedule One status of marijuana is no longer enforceable and comes out of the Canori case and all these different Department of Justice memos that came out. But So those cases, you would get those, you know, it was somewhere in the supply chain, usually the delivery guys, the truckers would be pulled over and you'd discover how it worked from getting it from one coast to another or through Canada or, you know, what were the different people involved. And then you'd have to figure out where's the loose link that how this got discovered. Um, so it's a very long winded answer to your question, but it was really fun to sit down and have to figure these puzzles out. That's unreal. Did she get jail time at the end? Of they that? did. They did. Not substantial like they were facing, but they did get jail time. And, um, and it's, you know, again, these are cases that no longer would exist in the same way. So um, it was the last of the big cases I, I dealt with um, that had big, significant legal issues to them. But they're a dying breed because the federal government really doesn't want to enforce its own law, being that, you know, it's you can't have marijuana for any reason, can't possess or use it for any reason. And they, you've even seen Congress pass laws that prohibit 
the law at the federal level from being enforced in the states that have medical marijuana. So what's the point? And so I've, I've brought a couple legal arguments, and I have one pending as a what's called an amicus brief or a friend of the court brief in front of the United States Supreme Court right now because um, Clarence Thomas, in a case not long ago, called out saying this policy is ridiculous. You're either half in or you're half out. And so I wrote a brief that was really tailored to his interest in that conversation because it's Zeno's paradox. You know, you're only halfway there and Congress can't pass banking acting but not everything else and just change the law. So I'm hopeful that, um, like I said, it all starts out of the Canori case. That's where I really got interested in this constitutional argument that I think may may help sway some judges say, yeah, it's time to hear this and let's just, let's just, if Congress won't do it and the president won't do it, it's time to just change the law ourselves. So that's what we're hoping for. Hearing stories like that makes me think of all of those fantastic 80s movies, the John Grisham, uh, po like political intrigue with like hotshot attorneys moving and shaking. And I just like, I would love to sit down with you and get all of your stories and then pitch like hell to make a movie of some of this <laughs> stuff. Because I remember when you came back from Amsterdam uh, after one cannabis cup with high times that had been raided. Right. And <laughs> like the stories that you all had, can you talk a little bit about that? What happened? Like, I feel like you were just, you were just like up for 48 hours trying to make sure that you didn't get any of the staffers that you had to keep them all out of jail. Right? It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I got to tell you, it felt something like the equivalent of what would have been probably like a fraternity hazing. Like what's the craziest shit we could come up with to throw at somebody in the middle of the day for no particular reason other than harass them. But no, I got some some high times people. Bobby Black had an encounter where they were just trying to understand on the street what's going on, but I had to go meet him in a police station. And I was wearing a black hoodie and jeans, so it looked like I was the undercover agent that had arrested him when Malcolm McKinnon took a picture of us walking out of the station. So I think I got you know marked as a narc in the middle of all this, and because I don't, I haven't smoked pot since I was 18 years old, right? So people are like, who's the guy who's not smoking pot in the room? He can't be a, you know a legit guy. So it was sort of fun, but we did, uh, there was a raid that went on where people, you know, the, the tax authorities came around, they wanted to know what was going on, they locked the whole place down, and we had to, you know, do what we had to do to make sure that the authorities understood how this thing was being run, and it might have caused a little lag time for people to get the down to the five gram limit, and I don't know exactly what happened other than that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't want to see how the sausage is made, how they say it, and... Uh, but it was really fun. I mean, those events, and I, I truly miss them, and I'd love to be involved in, because um, it was to be able to, there was something about being able to celebrate in defiance of the law that gave people a real commonality and bonding agreement that I don't know, and I ask you two, as, as two people involved in the space, is there a different affinity now that it's legal than it used to be where you're like, oh, you're one of the bad kids, I'm one of the bad kids, let's get together. Has that changed a lot? Yeah, for sure. I mean, recently we went to Hall of Flowers, which is a B2B huge you know, industry conference in Palm Springs. And then right afterwards, I went to the Emerald Cup, which still has that sort of like some some of that scrappy outlaw vibe. And then but then comparing those two events to something like the National Cannabis Festival, which Mike and I went to last August, which truly still had that like there were people who were trapping. There was, right. you know like definitely that old school outlaw you know we're, we're here because we love this so much and we're fighting for it to be legal vibe that um yeah it legalization has has lost some of that luster well you know and i don't know mary jane if you remember the hash sandals that the guy came from morocco and he fashioned sandals out of hash and walked them over the border that's how he got it out and came to a cannabis cup and was like you won't ever see that again you know it's a bygone era you know where like the outlaws are now the outmoded you know, we're just, that just doesn't exist in the same way. But 
man, it was a lot of fun. And as an attorney to like really figure out how you're going to dice and slice your way through that problem. It was one of the greatest single, you know, exciting eras of my time. I I love what I'm doing now, but really like when you're in the throes of it and you've got, you know, every second counts trying to figure out what you're going to do next. It was really fun. (laughs) That's awesome. I would like to go on record and say I would smoke that foot hash without a problem. (laughs) Exactly. You know, what's a little fungus among us when it comes to, you know. You knew <laughs> One of the things that we're seeing here now that, you know, the cannabis, uh, you know, law enforcement have sort of changed their focus or at least they've changed their ways in order to um, get, you know, their hooks into the money that businesses are making is civil asset forfeiture. Do you have experience with civil asset forfeiture cases in New York? And can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Because it's still going on here, even though we're supposedly fully legal. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Um, You know, so, yes, civil asset forfeiture is, uh, just to give the the listeners a bit of background. So if you have, let's say, large bags of cash, and you could be a bodega owner, you could be somebody in the middle of a drug transaction. Either way, if you can't readily account at the moment that you encounter a cop, with where those proceeds came from, they're called the proceeds, that's the legal name, but where the cash is all from, they'll just confiscate it and say, that's fine, just come back to us when you've got that proof and we'll gladly have a conversation with you. And it is a horrendous alternative to criminal forfeiture where you got to first try a person, find them guilty, and then you can take the assets that might be traceable to a drug transaction. Now it's just presumed to be you know, you're guilty until proven innocent by yourself about where this cash came out of. So I I had a great privilege of, for a time, working with the guy that was really one of the leading guys in the country on forfeiture, who had written some books on this, who really sat me down in, in, um, in a unique case. And that's where I started to learn it and see this. And I used to do some organized crime and other big drug distributions where it would become a major, you know, factor to how this got done. Um, but now what you're seeing, as I recall, in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, there was a medical dispensary where the operators were driving from Kansas City, Missouri into Kansas. And on the Kansas side, they seized all the cash saying, well, that's an illegal drug, drug transaction, we presume, coming from your industry. So until you can prove to us it was legal, meaning it wasn't federally illegal, we're just going to seize all the cash and take it from you. And it can take years and years of battle. And if you're lucky, you get 50% of it back. But this is how a lot of law enforcement had enriched themselves in the war on drugs was just to declare everybody to be a criminal. And it's a, it's a really horrendous tool. So I'm, I'm not sure if that answers all your question, but boy, you know when you've encountered a forfeiture problem is like, how do you, you know, get your money back? You know, why should you have to prove your innocence rather than them having to prove your guilt? And it's a... It's complicated. Yeah, it feels like government-sanctioned piracy. Just, you know, like, <laughs> they just jump on board and take all your stuff and then leave, and they're like, nah, 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 come and get it if you can prove <laughs> right. that it's yours. That's insane. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's um, So wow. hopefully those days, I, I don't see them as much in New York as they used to be. Um, and you, when you do see them, they're generally in city settings, and it usually is somebody who's, yeah, truly, all cash businesses, like bodegas. You know, I mean, the advent of ATM cards really has changed things a lot. But cash is still cash for a lot of communities. And a lot of people are day laborers who are paid in cash in a lot of communities. So it's it's a tough thing. 
And um, I will gladly help any and all your listeners that run into these problems because it's just not fair. You know, it's just not. Yeah, that's awesome. So where can people find you if they do want to reach out to you or any of the, the sort of normal network? Are you are you listed all of the places? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know if that's the case, but I've got a website that is um, it's mediocre on its best day, but it's it's where you can find me, which is Holland Litigation, H-O-L-L-A-N-D-L-I-T-I-G-A-T-I-O-N.com. Um, and that's where you can look me up and that will take you probably some leads to the other organizations like Normal and stuff you can find me at too. But, you know, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm excited to watch this, you know, whole legalization roll out both in the states and it was certainly will on the national level. And to know that, that, you know, you two have been part of what made it happen. And, um, it, you know, not, not again in this lifetime are you going to find yourself at the forefront of a movement that you never envisioned happening. And now you're, everybody's like sucking wind trying to catch up as rolling out so fast. So it's exciting. And congratulations to you both for really making people aware and conscious of it. Thank you. No, thank you so much. I mean, you know, honestly, it's so good to see you. And I just want to sit down in real life with you when we come to New York. Um, I feel like Mike and I have got to like get out there for some amount of time to really cover legalization as it unfolds because, you know, it's such an important thing. Like it's. Well, on that note, I have one more question. Yeah, at the forefront of it. Like, because I would say I'm a cynical idealist, I think would be a good way to describe me. So I have like a lot of hope for everything working out perfectly in a euphoria, utopia. It's all going to be great. But can you can you kind of share uh, a more ideal? Like, what what are we really looking at this year, five years, 10 years from now? Like, are we are we going to have federal legalization? Are people going to be able to use banks? Are people going to get out of prison? Or is Amazon going to gobble it up for the first 20 years of this thing and you know like what what are we really looking at so uh my i guess the easiest way to answer is this you know we're watching all these half-assed efforts of congress to pass the safe act the more act the states act the you know act of the week act you know whatever it is which are designed to promote banking and you know okay so you want to have an industry but you don't want to change the law that's ridiculous so you have 38 states that have an industry built around marijuana that's enough to actually carry a constitutional amendment proposition. And there's, that's something I'm actually working on now through the industry associations I was talking about and normal, is to try to force a constitutional amendment through the states. And there is a means under Article 5 of the, of the United States Constitution to do that, to actually force Congress not to debate whether there should be an amendment, but all the other states ratifying it in which then it just gets approved in Congress. But if you have 38 states, you have the vast majority, and you only need 75% in Congress to approve something to be able to have it go to a constitutional amendment. So there's a backdoor way to try to do this that I've been playing with. So I do think that it, it makes no sense to me that with 38 states, they don't just put it to a vote and let it go on a federal level where it should be descheduling. Um so that I see within the next two years. And it, it now, it strangely is not a, well, it's a bipartisan issue. Um, but if you look, the vast majority of states are not as big as California and New York. They're actually very conservative red states. And all of them are coming into line saying, we're building an industry around this. Give us our right to be able to let it grow. So somewhere the backbone of Congress will find itself and, you know, talk about whether it really needs to just deschedule this and let the states take it on, which is what they're effectively doing right now anyhow. 
and then the states like alcohol can decide whether they want it or not and you know that type of thing so uh, i think that what we need is an immediate you know transplant of spines into our congress people rather than a bunch of worthless hyperbole and and rhetoric that leads to nothing and nowhere and it just passes the buck to yet another election cycle we're all unified in this so let's just get it done so that people don't continue to suffer and, and the industry continues to grow. I love the fact that you're very calmly calling for spine transplants. <laughs> <laughs> it just says so much about who you are as an attorney because it sounds really reasonable, but it's actually like, like yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah. I don't even know how to yeah, improve on what you just said. Everyone needs to get a spine transplant. Come on. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, when, when Chuck Schumer is now leading the charge, I think it's time to say everybody just needs to make this happen. Um, you know, when, when he becomes your chief champion, it's time to try other methods because that's not necessarily going to go anywhere anytime soon. And while I respect him, um, you know, if like I said, if that's our leading voice, it's going to take some other work <laughs> and it's going to take spine transplants. <laughs> I think that's a great place to leave this. Will you come back and check in with us as New York and the East Coast continues its journey onward toward legalization, please? Absolutely. And if you make your way out east, I mean, I'd love to be able to have you both and introduce you to some of the things we got going on here on the boots on the ground level. So, but thank you so much for this opportunity to be part of the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait to have weed and grub with you in real life uh, sometime soon. Yeah, let's go to New York. Yeah, let's go. I'm all um, game. Take it away, please. Yeah, uh, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Please check out David uh, online. He's an incredible advocate. We're so excited to have had you as our guest today. Thank you. We are at Weed and Grub on Instagram. Email us at wg at weedandgrub.com with questions, concerns, photos of your dogs and weed. And uh, thank you, everyone. Oh, oh there's a dog. There's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks very much. <laughs>